Psalm 11. Psalm 11. Let's read Psalm 11. Faith in the Lord's righteousness. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. In the Lord, I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string. That they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked, he will rain coals, fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. And if you'll forgive me, I'm going to read verse 7 from the ESV as well, because it's slightly more helpful um, for me at least. Verse 7 in the ESV. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. So Psalm 11. If I could give Psalm this, well, if I could give not the Psalm a title, if I could give tonight a title, it would be Trust, Trust, and Trust Again. I have an introduction and I have three points. Fairly normal for when I do this, right? Introduction to Psalm 11. So we read it at the very beginning. This is another Psalm of David. Much like the other Psalms of David that I've covered, we're not 100% sure when it was penned. We cannot be 100% sure even what the circumstances were around this we can be 100% sure that that doesn't matter because we don't have to know the answer to that to get the benefit from this psalm most people do concur that it was likely a similar time to that of psalm 3 which is when David was in fear of his life from his own son if you remember so this psalm is one of those that's another expression of David's confidence in God similar to psalm 2 verses 4 to 6 psalm 4 And Psalm 10, verse 12 to 13. The difference, though, in this psalm, although that's a similarity, that it's another um, psalm of confidence, expressed confidence. The difference in this psalm is that it's not followed by a direct request or petition made to God. Why is that? We don't know, do we? But one could suggest that David, by simply reminding himself about how great his God was, was all that was necessary to lift him in that moment. And he didn't need to lay a petition at God's door because he'd actually inspired himself through through the remembrance of God. So what would the main or the big theme, if you like, of this psalm be? If I could say it would be this. What can faith do when everything around us seems to be falling apart? What can faith do when everything around us seems to be falling apart. As I was reading that, I wonder if you remembered what I've said about previous psalms, that this could have been written today, don't you think? This could have been written today, could have been written yesterday. The foundations are being destroyed. What can we possibly do? We lament ungodly laws being passed. We lament ungodly leaders, babies being killed in the womb. 
daily murders, abductions, suicide, the pride movement gaining so much support. The foundations are well and truly under attack, right? So what can we learn? So that by way of introduction, three points. Point one, some advice. My three points don't all start with an A, but there's an A in there somewhere. Some advice. First A, some advice. Let's look at verses one to three. I actually want us to skip the very first line of this psalm, just for a moment. Please don't call me a heretic. Bear with me. Bear with me just for a time. Skip for the first line. In these verses, David is responding to something. The something appears to be some advice that he has been given. Advice to run away, to flee. Flee as a bird to your mountain. Advice to be scared. Advice to think that disaster has struck and there's nothing you can do about it, David. It's generally accepted that this advice has probably come from David's friends, people that were close to him, people that loved him, people that genuinely cared and were looking out for his life. The advice has come from people who have actually accurately assessed the situation in purely earthly terms. His friends have got well-meaning intentions. So what's the problem then with this advice? Why shouldn't David just flee as a bird to your mountain amongst these troubles? Well, the problem is that this advice that he's given by his friends, whilst in pure earthly terms might sound sensible, ignores the God behind the faith it fails to acknowledge that God is sovereign so it seems seems it seems it seems like David then has three options okay three options three f's under the three points of a's flee David could flee but this would be giving up this would be losing heart this would be losing faith what does John 17 verse 15 say Jesus's own prayer I do not pray that you should take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one would we really think that we could run away from reality this was David's reality would we think we can run away from reality from the place that God has led us to do you think that's possible society peddles this at us daily doesn't it fleeing Go and drink too much alcohol, take drugs, disobey God-given law and order, look down on that policeman and call him names, eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow you die. Society would say, flee, it's all too difficult, just flee. So David could have fleed. Fight, David could fight. the, The words here, you've got the wicked bending their bow, they make ready their arrow on the string. Some of you young people have done archery at um, Hindley, right? Or at school things. That's the picture that we've got here. Someone secretly laying in wait with a bow and arrow that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. So David could fight. He could flee. He could fight. Sometimes it feels like a natural response, right? If you imagine that you've got a bow and arrow pointing at you in figurative terms. Sometimes, though, today's Christians get so caught up in I'm going to say is almost activism and politics that they forget that our battle is actually spiritual and actually it's not an earthly one that we can power through let's fight it let's go and fight in our own strength and power through we're in a spiritual battle and that then brings us helpfully to our third f flee 
fight or focus. David's third option would be to focus. Focus on what? Focus in the right place. Imagine taking the wide angle off of a camera lens and putting on the telephoto one and zooming right in and focusing. David could focus on the God of his, the God behind his faith. David could remember, and we must remember, that God is never surprised. God knows about David's situation. God wasn't surprised. God is never caught out or caught off guard. God is watching everything every day. What's God doing in this moment in David's life? What's God doing amongst our shaken foundations of today's world? God is showing patience and he is letting both the righteous and the unrighteous declare their true colours. So David could flee, he could fight or he could focus. Now come back to the first line of the psalm. In the Lord, I put my trust. Aha, what can the righteous do? They can look to the God who made the world, who made the foundations for the world. So the world may be crumbling, may be creaking, may be failing, may be faltering. But why would that make us think that God's power and rule was doing the same thing? And we're tempted to think it's all falling apart because what we see around us probably feels like it. Why would we be tempted to think that God's rule and God's power and God's dominion is doing the same thing? This is David's settled disposition then, isn't it? That God is on the throne, God is sovereign, and that David will trust him and wait on his mercy. Just note before we move on to the second point that David puts his faith here ahead of what would actually have been quite an easy response for to seek out security and self-preservation, right? That would have been quite an easy natural response, wouldn't it? That's good advice. I don't want to get into this difficult position. I'll, I'll flee. I'll flee away because that's better for me. Self-preservation, security. No. He tells uh, his friends in response to the advice in the Lord, I put my trust. We may have to consider the same at some point, right? If we haven't already had to, will we seek out self-preservation or we will, will we rely on God's strength to stand in a difficult world or situation? So that's some A, advice. Okay. The second point, faith's answer. Faith's answer. Excuse the tenuous linkage. Faith's answer. We come on to verses four to seven. And verses four to seven show us that David doesn't have what some people might call blind faith. He doesn't have blind faith. No, no. He has confidence in his God based on sound and good reasons, which he now goes on to state. Again, three small subpoints. Firstly, then, David's faith assures him that God is the exalted Lord. All capitals, Lord. It is Yahweh. But the name that God uses in the Old Testament for himself, that people barely spoke, I am. We read in these verses that God is in his holy temple. What does this tell us? Well, it tells us that God is living. If he's in his holy temple, he's living. This isn't a dead God. This is a living God in his holy temple. Be careful not to read that as a distant God because he's in his holy temple, because we know that he is everywhere at every time. We also read that God is on his throne in heaven. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us that he's ruling. He's not in a quiet corner, impossible to do anything, unable to do anything. No, on his throne, ruling, 
governing, not inactive, and not ignorant of what's going on. So, David's faith assures him that God is the exalted Lord. Secondly, under faith's answer, his faith assures him that God is an observing Lord, an observing Lord. His eyes see, we read. His eyelids test. So, what does that tell us? It tells us that God watches. God sees it all. He knows it all. What did I say a minute ago? Nothing surprises God or catches him out. The unrighteous that David is up against are being weighed in the balances by Almighty God when he sees everything. Um, if, if, you'll, if you'll forgive any irreverence that, that there might be in this small illustration, the image is that of a school head wandering around their school. They're watching everything as they walk around, but they don't say anything. They're just making notes. They're keeping a note of everything good and bad ready for tomorrow's assembly. So, David's faith assures him that God is an observing Lord. Thirdly then, under faith's answer to this advice. David's faith assures him that God is an examining Lord. An examining Lord. We read that the Lord tests the righteous in verse 5. We also read that God does hate. He hates the one who loves violence. So what does this remind us? Well, it reminds us that God has a character. God has a character. He is just, perfectly just. He can do what he chooses in his world with his creation. <coughs> he is holy. Sin and the, the violent one and the uh, ignorance around God will be punished because he is holy. He is angry. But God is love. So these verses and these, uh, what, what we've read in these verses reminds us of these parts of God's character. He is just. He is holy. He is angry. But he is love. So David is stating his utter confidence that God has not forgotten justice. He hasn't forgotten judgment. Verses 5 and 6 actually give us the picture of a, a Sodom and Gomorrah wipeout, didn't they? The Lord tests the righteous. Sorry, verse 6. Upon the wicked he will rain coals. Fire and brimstone and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. So David is confident that the evil that is currently surrounding him in whatever his circumstances are, that the evil will be burned up and that God has not forgotten his justice and his holiness. In verse 6 there, we read about a cup. In the Bible, we read about a cup quite a lot, actually, don't we? We read about a cup both positively and negatively. A cup of blessing and a cup of wrath. How wonderful as believers then to be able to pause and think for a minute that for the cup of wrath that we deserve to be drinking, Jesus drank the cup of God the Father's wrath for us so that we won't have to on that day. The unrighteous though, the unrighteous, the unrepenting, they will have to drink their own cup. And that's quite a, that's a very, very scary thought, isn't it? Which should actually inspire us to speak up more readily to those people around us that we know are going to have to drink that cup. So, faith's answer was our second point. Faith's answer is to place our eyes on Yahweh and not on the wicked around us. 
that subtle change of lens makes quite a difference, doesn't it? To our, the way we walk through this world and what we're going to focus on. When the foundations are being destroyed, say to yourself, God is on his throne, God is in control. So, we've had some advice, faith's answer, now we have faith's assurance. Faith's assurance. Three lines in verse 7. The Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright, or forgive me, because it's easier to use this one for me. The Lord is righteous, he loves righteous deeds, the upright shall behold his face, or the upright will gaze on his face. Someone uh, has said about this psalm, if the first line of the psalm shows where the believer's safety lies then the last line shows where our heart should be. If the first line shows where our safety lies, then the last line shows where our heart should be. It's very easy and even natural, isn't it, actually, for, even, for, for, the, you know, for the longest-term believer um, to want the protection and security that God gives, Right? But to seek after fellowship and communion with God. Oh, now that's something only a true disciple will seek out, right? It'd be very easy to want to take from God all the benefits, protection, security, help, answered prayer. But to seek fellowship and communion with God. Now that's the aim of a true disciple, right? Um, I was reading some interesting, listening to some interesting things about this psalm. We love Jesus here tonight, don't we? We love Jesus even though we have never seen him. We've never seen him. 1 Peter 1 verse 8 uh, says this as well. Why? How can we love Jesus whom we've never seen? How is that possible? Well, it's because we've experienced Jesus, haven't we? We've experienced his love to us. We've experienced his tenderness. We've experienced his care, his provision, his compassion and his hand-holding as well. But what's amazing is we will see him. We will see Jesus. And I don't think I can even begin to explain to you or that you can even (coughs) begin to imagine what that will be like. We will be in the presence of the one who loved you and me so much that he took our place and died. We love Jesus even though we haven't seen him, but we will. And that is faith's assurance. Faith's assurance we will see and gaze on the face of the one who died in our place. In conclusion, I have a few... Keep it open. I have a few conclusion points just to uh, try and help us remember some of what I've said, if, if none of it has been helpful or sunk in. Conclusion. Do we, in Free Grace Baptist Belvedere, on the 21st of September 2023, do we capitulate under the pressure that's around us? Shall we run? Shall we aimlessly fight in our own strength? Or do we proceed, in David's manner, in the settled disposition of faith in one true living God.
Conclusion. If we have I am, that's his name, if we have I am in the very centre of our vision as we go through every day, what a difference that would make to our thinking and perhaps even to the way we treat others, each other. If we have I am in the very centre of our vision, what a difference that would make. I'm going to quote Dale Ralph Davis. I feel like a Thursday shouldn't go past without Mr. Davis being quoted. (laughs) Psalm 11, he says, tells us that faith needs discernment to filter out counsel of despair and fear. Psalm 11 tells us that faith needs vision to see the just and reigning God. And Psalm 11 tells us that faith needs hope that anticipates awaking and gazing on his face. So, in closing, is everything falling apart? Well, it's not like it ought to be, right? The world's not like it ought to be. We're not like we ought to be. So is everything falling apart? Is God falling apart? Not a bit of it. He remains our ever-present help in trouble, which comes up in Psalm 46 in a few months' time.